Alan Johnson, who's a former pastor and now worships with us here at the Palm Desert Community Presbyterian Church, put me onto a book this week that uh, I can't put down. It's called Losing Our Religion, an Altar Call for Evangelical America by uh, Russell Moore. And Russell Moore is writing about the fact that the church in America is shrinking including the evangelical church. Kind of sad. He's done a lot of research, a lot of research, and he's polled a lot of other folks who've done a lot of research to say, why? What's going on? And a number of factors contribute. But one of the things that intrigued me was the statement by... a compilation of statements. This is a summary of what the researchers are finding. In the past, people stopped going to church, to evangelical churches, the churches that taught the scripture as being true, because they couldn't believe or they didn't believe some of the miracles, some of the things the church was teaching. The virgin birth, resurrection from the dead, life everlasting. These miraculous things. People said, I just couldn't deal with that. But more recently, a lot of people are reporting they're leaving the church because the church doesn't believe what the church is teaching. They see many churches deeply involved in things that the Bible doesn't say the church needs to be involved in. And therefore, by default, the church is not involved in a lot of the things that the Bible says the church should be involved in. And the church is shrinking because not as many people are coming into the church, and the church is shrinking because a number of people are moving out of the church because they just see the church as irrelevant to their Christian faith. They're born again. They love Jesus, they read their Bibles, but they see church as a hypocritical waste of their time. And in many instances, they're right. That's why I'm so proud when I hear our moments for ministry, our missionaries, our our, uh, Kairos, our Stephen ministers. I've heard Stephen, some Stephen ministers say, well, I took the training And now, they don't send people to me to minister to. And I say, where do you live? You can't hear and see the number of people who need someone to minister to them. And and, and we have folks here, Stephen and many of them, who are here. And and they're listening, and they want to minister to you. And and, uh, our, our Kairos team is going out next week and to, to work in the prison. And we have folks going Monday nights down to the mission. So, so while we look at much of that's going on in churches that God has not called them to, and while we look at a lot of churches that are not doing what God has called them to, I think we can thank God we have a church where people are involved in doing what God has given us to do, to lead people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to help those people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, and to help people who are in desperate need of love 
and resources. So as I read this book, uh, Russell Moore's book, and, and uh, I mourned with him over much that's going on and rejoiced with things that are going on, where the church is making a tremendous impact here in our own country and around the world, I was drawn back to the book of Acts, which we've been studying, and uh, noticed something that I had noticed before, but was reminded and refreshed about what was going on in the church in the book of Acts. You see, Luke tells the story, these first, really the first 30 years of the church, from Pentecost to the end of, of uh, the book of Acts, chapter 28, is a period of about 30 years. And during those 30 years, the church just exploded. It entered new cultures. It changed people's lives. It was doing what God brought the church into existence to do. And by reading and studying and praying through the book of Acts, we can go back and say, okay, Lord, what have you called us to do? What should we be spending our time and our money as good stewards? In the fall, we talk about stewardship, stewardship of our gifts, stewardship of our money, stewardship of our time, stewardship of our influence, stewardship of our reputation, stewardship of everything. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. We give back to God only what He has first given to us. It all belongs to Him. And He has entrusted us with it to use to build His kingdom. And when we get sidetracked, when we get off into other things, God is not pleased. And when we do focus as good stewards and use the things, the resources God has given us to honor Him and to build His kingdom, he is well pleased, and he will pour out those resources to those who use them the way he intends them to be used. I would not give a child money to go buy alcohol and get drunk. But I would give money to a child who wants to buy something for a kid who doesn't have any. And I think you would agree with me. We wouldn't give our resource to somebody who's going to do damage with them. But we would gladly give resources to those who are going to use them to do good things. We're pretty smart about that. But guess what? God is smarter than we are. And he says, if you think I'm going to pour out my resources on you to waste them, got another thing coming. And stewardship is all about understanding that we are, we are conduits. We are conduits. God pours his grace and his love and his resources into our life because he wants them to pour them out in ways that honor and glorify him. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. In fact, Acts chapter 2 gives the first of, of eight snapshots of the church. Eight snapshots, eight places where Luke stopped and said, let me tell you what was going on in the church. The first of these snapshots is found in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. If you have your Bible, uh, and if you don't, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, but if you have your Bible, open it up and read with me this Acts chapter 2. Speaking of the Christians, these new, this is right after Pentecost. 3,000 people had just come to Christ. Can you imagine showing up here next week? 3,000 new people, brand new believers. That's what happened. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, at the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, after you read that description, people devoting themselves, they were in awe of God's word. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves. They responded to the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to taking care of each other, to, to being involved in each other's lives, and to breaking of bread, to the worship, to the remembering in awe. They devoted themselves to, to the celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled at all, with awe by the, 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 the marvelous things God was doing in their community. And the believers were together and, and, and had everything in common. This, now, this isn't socialism. It's not communism. It was voluntary. But people said, if I see a need... I'm going to meet the need. In fact, in chapter 4, a second one of these snapshots, it says people sold land and, and, and houses. So they had cash to give to people who had nothing. People say, I, I, I can't live in this, this kind of luxury. Well, this guy sitting next to me in church can't feed his family. And if I don't have any cash, I'll sell something and get cash. I mean, that was the kind of thing that was going on. It's a beautiful thing. And you see this, and you see what was going on, the way these people were relating to God and to each other and celebrating who they were as Christians. Are you surprised that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved? The church in the book of Acts was not being vacated. It was being filled. Why? Because the people were doing what God told them they should do as a church. And the number of places we read that the church was growing, what Luke would do is describe something the church did, and then he would make a comment on it. Just let me read those. Just This blew me away. We just read the one, chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message... Peter's message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. Chapter 4, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Chapter 6, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Chapter 9, the church was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Chapter 11, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Chapter 12, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Chapter 16, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Chapter 19, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Did you notice something? It grew in numbers. And people say, well, you shouldn't be counting noses. It's not about numbers. You shouldn't be counting noses. Well, yeah, we should. 
Because every nose is connected to a heart. And hearts need to be changed by the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life. And that's what was going on as the church flourished, as people obeyed God, as people lived out their faith in the community. Others said, I want to be part of that. I have holes in my life that need to be filled up. And it appears to me you guys have filled them up. Well, so we have this picture of the church, but Luke was smart enough, or the Holy Spirit was smart enough through, as he inspired Luke, to single out one individual. And as we read through the book of Acts, pardon me, um, we, we read about one guy named Barnabas. Barnabas. Chapter 4, it said that people were selling houses and lands and, and bringing the money and putting it at the apostles' feet. And then it zeroed in on this guy named Barnabas. Acts chapter 4 says that uh, this uh, Barnabas, where am I here? Chapter 4, Barnabas, a Levite from Cyprus. So he was a, probably a Hellenized Jew living in a Greek culture, probably dressed Greek, ate Greek food. So, uh, but, but he was a Levite. He was uh, from the tribe of Levi, not a practicing priest because he wasn't living in Jerusalem. Just that brief introduction. Uh, it, uh, the apostles gave him a nickname, this guy Joseph. They call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Okay? Son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So the first thing we see about Barnabas, the very first introduction, is he was stewarding his wealth. He was stewarding his wealth. He, he risked his financial security in order to help people in need. He said, I don't have any cash, but I have some real estate. I'm going to sell. I'm going to take care of this. So the first thing we see, he was a steward of his financial resources. And then we go to chapter 9. The next time we see Barnabas, uh, chapter 9 is the story of Paul coming to Christ up in, uh, where was he? On the road to, no? No. Anyway, where Paul was going? <laughs> Damascus, thank you. It's gonna, you're gonna, you'll get old and stupid someday too. So. Uh, but he was in Damascus, and he met Jesus. And before that, he had been the great persecutor of the church. He got letters from the high priest so he could go and, and arrest Christians and put them in prison. And on his way to Damascus to gather up Christians to have them put in prison, he met Jesus, and his life was changed. And, and so the story goes, he came back to Jerusalem. We'll pick it up here in verse 24. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. He said, hey, I, I'm a Christian now. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to be part of this. But they were all afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. Yeah, Paul, <laughs> we're going to let you in our church. Forget about it. Put the fox in the hen house. No, -uh, not in our deal. You've got to find, get our names and have us arrested. Get away, Paul. We don't believe you. So Paul said, hey, I, I'm a crowd. And then we read, but Barnabas took Paul and brought him to the apostles and told them Paul's story. Barnabas wasn't an apostle. Barnabas wasn't a priest. Barnabas was just a regular guy. But he said, you know, I have some influence here. I have people trust me, and I'm going to risk these people misunderstanding me. I'm going to put my reputation on the line. 
and I'm going to stand with this guy, Paul. And Paul became a part of the church in Jerusalem because of a guy named Barnabas. And then we go to chapter 11, and we read about Barnabas again. The church uh, moved on up to Antioch, uh, pardon me, to, to uh, yeah, Syrian Antioch, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And a group of people went up there, and a group of Christians, and they started witnessing and telling people, those who had been scattered by the persecution, this is verse 19 of chapter 11, uh, by the, uh, the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far up to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, to Gentiles also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The, uh, and the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Well, the, the folks in Jerusalem heard about that and said, we need to go up and see what's going on up there. They sent Barnabas, the son of encouragement. When Barnabas got there, what it says is that uh, they sent Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to look for Saul. Now, here's the deal. Barnabas, they sent him on up there, and, and, and he helped get the thing organized and helped them and taught them what he knew and taught them about the Lord and taught them how to walk with God and discipling these folks. The church was growing. And Barnabas said, you know, I, this is bigger than me. I need help. I'm going to get that guy, Paul. And what Barnabas did is he risked his ego. And he stewarded his position. He was the guy who came up from Jerusalem. But he saw this church needed more and different kind of gifts than he had. It would be like, say, 20 years ago, I was the pastor, and I'm preaching away, and I said, you know, we need help here. I'm going to go get Chuck Swindoll and have him preach sometime. People say, you know, Sid, you're a good preacher, but Swindoll, holy mackerel. I say, now my ego. Say, but that's exactly what Barnabas did. He said, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm good up to this point, but I need bigger, better. This thing is outgrowing me. So he was a steward of this position that he had, and he put his ego on the line. And in chapter 13 and 14, the church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas out to be missionaries. They went up to Galatia. Galatia is kind of wild country. Kind of, those were mean people up there. So Paul and Barnabas really put their lives on the line. They risked their life to go up there. And they stewarded their spiritual gifts. They said, God has given us this great capacity to lead people to know Jesus. And we're very comfortable here in Antioch. It's a good deal. But we sense that God is sending us to go where no one has gone before. And we read in chapter 14, verse 20, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. See, Paul and Barnabas were having this ministry in a city called Lystra up there in Galatia. But some folks who were opposed to the gospel showed up there, and they, they uh, won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. These guys said, we're putting our life on the line because these people need to know Jesus. Stewarding their very lives. 
so they could use the gift God had given them of evangelism to plant churches among some pretty wild people. And some of us are afraid to talk over the back fence to our neighbor and tell him about Jesus' love. Barnabas was a gutsy guy. When nobody would have anything to do with Paul but Barnabas. When the church at Antioch needed help, they sent Barnabas. When Barnabas saw it was outgrowing him, he called in a bigger gun. And they worked as a team, and I suspect that Barnabas became the junior member of that team. On the missionary journey to Galatia, we see that Paul was the preacher. Paul was the highlight. And Barnabas was right there with him. And then in chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, after that first missionary trip, Paul and Barnabas came back to Antioch. And we read in chapter 15, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Saying what Paul and Barnabas did up there was wrong. They just told those people they could come straight to Jesus without becoming Jews first. And so there was a confrontation. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Do Gentiles have to become Jews to become Christians? Paul and Barnabas said, no way. These converted Christians who were still hanging on to their Judaism said, they cannot. They have to be Jews first. So there was a big dispute. They went down to Jerusalem, went up to Jerusalem. And when they got to Jerusalem, verse 5 tells us that some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So now Paul and Barnabas are debating with former well, probably not former Pharisees. They're Christian Pharisees. They're people who don't deal with authority. They deal with authoritarianism. It's not right because it's right. It's right because I have the power to tell you, believe it, whether it's right or not. The question isn't what's right. The question is, who is right? And I will use manipulation. I will use fear. I will kick you out of my church if you vote for that candidate. If you support that bill, we will ostracize you because Christians believe this and belong to this party. And that's why a lot of people are saying, I want nothing to do with that. Preach the gospel. Teach me how to walk with God. Don't tell me how to vote. Tell me how to walk with Jesus. 
that's your job. Like Tom said, all across this valley this morning, we have Christians of various stripes, various stripes. And it's okay. It's okay. Until you get to a church where it's not about what's right. It's about we're the only ones who are right. And if you don't believe like we believe, you cannot be Christian. And people say, I don't want anything to do with that. And they brand the whole Christian movement with that kind of thing. So these Pharisees were bullying their way into the church. They were Christians, but they had not let go of the Phariseeism. I have sat in that library with our session where we have had some pretty strong discussions. And we searched together and we prayed together about what is right, not who is right. And we vote and we get on board and we do what we believe the Spirit of God brought us together to do. I hope you're proud of being part of this church. Proud and glad and thankful to the Lord for our leaders in this congregation who are willing to say, I was wrong. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So they battled that one out, and they won. Paul and Barnabas and James and Peter all expressed why it was not necessary for new Christians to become Jews. And then we have one last look at Barnabas, again, chapter 15. Uh, after the first missionary journey, they came back. They went to the Council of Jerusalem. This was uh, 50 A.D., about, what, 20 or so years after the day of Pentecost. The church was about 20 years old now, 50 A.D. And so they came back. They had the Jerusalem Council. They settled that issue that the Gentiles don't have to become Jews. And sometimes late, sometime later, verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord. Let's go back to Galatia. Let's see how they're doing. Let's see if we can do some more discipleship. And, and, and uh, great, uh, Barnabas, a great idea, Paul. Let's go. You and me and Mark, we'll go back there. And Paul said, no, wait a minute. Mark went with us on our first missionary journey. But when the going got tough, the weenies got going home. Mark left us. Mark quit. Mark ain't going with us on the second trip. Mark is a loser. And you don't win when you play losers. Barnabas said, yeah, he's going. Paul said, no, he ain't. And it says the, dis the disagreement, they had such a sharp disagreement that Paul and Barnabas parted company. Paul took Silas and went on a second missionary journey, and Luke followed him. And it says Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus and to anonymity. We don't read any more about Barnabas. Paul was the missionary. Paul was the star. 
Paul risked his friendship with uh, Barnabas, risked his friendship with Paul so that he could steward his responsibility. I have a responsibility to this young man, Mark. It was his cousin, but just interestingly. We don't know much about what happened to Mark and Barnabas from the book of Acts. But we do know that our, the first gospel that was written was written by this loser named Mark. We know that Mark was an assistant to Peter for many years of his ministry in Rome. And we know that at the end of Paul's life, he was in prison waiting to be executed. And he didn't know when they were going to come and take off his head. So he wrote a letter to his young disciple named Timothy. He wrote two letters. This is the second one. The last words we have from Paul in 2 Timothy. And Paul said to Timothy, you know, Timothy, I'm about to be executed. I'd sure like to see you again. I'd love to hug your neck, as they say in Texas. Shake your hand. Just see you again. Oh, come, come see me before they drag me out of here and take my life. When you come, I want you to bring three things. Bring my cloak. It's cold in this dungeon. It's cold. Bring my cloak. Bring the parchments. Man, I'm dying to get some reading material. And uh, get Mark. And bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Huh. Why was Mark helpful to Paul? Not because Paul discipled him. Mark was valuable to Paul and his ministry because of Barnabas' Barnabas's investment in Mark. Every time we see Barnabas, he's being a steward of whatever God placed in front of him. Financial, reputation, ego, his whole life, his relationships, his friendships. Put them all on the line because there's risk at times in being a good steward, in being a good follower of Christ. So the church in Jerusalem grew. It exploded. All those snapshots God was adding. God was adding. Why? Well, you see, because the church was doing great. Yes, it was. But the church was thousands of Barnabases. Just like this church is us. And the health and the flourishing and the growth of this congregation occurs when each one of us says, I am going to be a faithful steward of the money, the talents, the experiences, the relationships, the responsibilities, everything in my life belongs to God, and I'm going to use it to glorify Him 
and to build his church. That's the story of Acts. That must be the story of Palm Desert Community Presbyterian Church. Lord Jesus, help us.